uh, this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would strengthen us and encourage us from your word. Bring to to our hearts and minds the things that we need to see in these passages, uh, in these verses, Lord. This this is your word, Lord, and and may we not get in the way of it, but may your spirit uh, just be living and and active. And and may you uh, give me the words to say. May the passage be clear and may the implications of it just resonate deep into our hearts. Uh, in your precious name, uh, we pray. Uh, amen. The scriptures say that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and we should weep with those who weep. Sometimes it's easier to to be sad with those who are sad than to be genuinely rejoicing with those who are happy. Sometimes sin gets in the way and we get a little bit jealous. I remember uh, one Christmas, and I'm not particularly proud of this Christmas, uh, but I didn't get quite what I wanted uh, for Christmas. Uh, this was as an adult, and uh, my the thing that my wife was getting me was on delay. And I remember being particularly uh, grumpy uh, that Christmas. And, and it kind of upset, well, it didn't kind of upset my wife, it did upset my wife, and, and rightly so. Um, and, and she will sit there and nod and say, yes, that was not your finest hour, Tim. Uh, it ruined the celebration because I had an inability uh, to be glad with the gladness that other people were experiencing. I was so uh, worried about myself and, and what I wasn't getting and how that didn't seem very fair that I, that I missed what, what was being given and done for other people, which should have been uh, more important anyways. The same is sometimes true for us as believers. Those of us that have been Christians for a while, we sometimes fail to rejoice when other believers get saved because we're worried about ourselves. We want to make sure, well, are they really saved? Uh, The scriptures say in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And yet sometimes in the church, when somebody repents, we aren't joyous. We aren't glad. Maybe they come from a particular a harsh background or a particular set of very easily seen and known sins. And so we so we hold off a little bit and we say, well, let's wait and see if they're really serious because we know how bad they were before they made this profession of faith. Rather than rejoicing, rather than being glad. We are in a passage of Scripture where the people of God needed to learn to be glad because Gentiles God saves. So our main point this morning is simply this. Rejoice when God saves someone. When God works in somebody's life and He, he brings the Word of God to them and He's working through the Holy Spirit to, to open their eyes so that they might see and then they come and they make a profession of faith and they, they say that Jesus is Lord and Savior and I, I believe in Him. We should be rejoicing. Uh, we should be throwing a party. Uh, maybe we won't have balloons that drop from the ceiling when somebody makes a profession of faith, but we should, we should personally be excited about that. We have witnessed a new birth. 
And, and for those of you that have kids or some of you that are, have kids on the way, you, you know or you will know what that is like when a new baby is born. That is awesome. That is amazing. But even more amazing than that is when a new Christian is born. When someone becomes born again, and we should be excited, rejoice when somebody gets saved. So, uh, we have two points this morning. It is in your bulletin. We were going to do the PowerPoint, but the wind was shaking a little bit, and it was more distracting than it was. A good thing we were singing hymns today and, and not doing the choruses up there, because you would have had to focus on this wobbling uh, projector. Uh, but let's keep moving this morning. Our first thing is that since God's grace can save any person, rejoice when God saves by his power and his activity. Since God can save anybody, he can take uh, the worst of the worst sinners. He can take the most average person, the most common person. He can take the, the richest of the rich, uh, the most prideful, the most humanly speaking humble. He can save Anyone, because it is the grace of God that opens someone's heart as the gospel is being preached. Since he can save anybody, we need to rejoice when God saves, because that is his power at work. That is his activity. And we're going to go through this passage in Acts 11. Notice here that the circumcision party is suspicious when Peter ate with unclean Gentiles. So, Peter, in the last chapter, was with Cornelius. Cornelius was unclean. Cornelius ceremonially unclean. We looked at that uh, four weeks ago now, the week before uh, Easter season started. Peter gets back, and there are these good, prim, and proper Jews. They, they were part of the church. They, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they had, they had made themselves a party that was committed to circumcision, that was committed to the ceremonial aspects of, of the law and making sure uh, that they kept those things. So this is what they say. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, so he's coming back from from Cornelius's house, he's coming south and he goes up uh, into the city of Jerusalem. It says the circumcision part, party criticized him. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You broke the law of God. Those ceremonial laws that we now call ceremony, they, they were saying, that is the word of God, Peter. You don't eat unclean food. And you don't eat with people who eat unclean food, lest you get contaminated. Table fellowship is one of the most intimate things that you can do, especially in the ancient world that was understood. Uh, some of you may not like to eat in front of people uh, because at my dinner table, when we eat, we have kids and it gets a little messy and people talk with their mouths full. And, and my wife corrects us when we talk with our mouths full, but we still talk with our mouths full and we get stuff stuck between our teeth. And, and, and you, you, you don't always put on the, the best presentation at the meal. It is intimate to sit down and eat with someone. It is significant uh, to go into someone's home. 
Uh, my wife is very particular before people come over. She wants to make sure everything is clean. I'm like, oh, whatever, you know, it's our house. We live here. Just come on in because it's but it's intimate. You're you're showing people where you live and dwell even more so in the ancient world. Table fellowship was intimate. You didn't just sit down and eat with people. You'll remember in the book of Genesis when when um, the, the brothers of Joseph come down before him and he is disguised as the ruler of Egypt. Uh, they throw this banquet, but it is first his brothers who eat and then the Egyptians eat because Egyptians and Jews don't eat together. And, and really, this was kind of the fault of the Egyptians. They thought they were better and prim and proper. And, and so you didn't engage in that intimacy, that activity. And so this is part of the reason for the criticism. But it's you ate, you went to uncircumcised men, these unclean, it's kind of like saying these Philistines, these barbarians, and you ate with them, these pagans who, who don't know God and don't worship God. So Peter recounts his vision, and I, I want to read through it, but, but we, we had preached through this when we looked at, at chapter 10. But look at verses 11, 4 through 10. Peter explained to them it in order. So he's accounting the events, how they happen. And I was in Joppa praying, and, a trance, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, when being let down from the heavens by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts and prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And, and I drew to our attention that these were all the unclean animals that, that are listed in the Old Testament. And then I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means for the Lord, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has entered my mouth. Then a voice answered a second time from heaven. God, uh, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and I was drawn up again. The sheet was drawn up again to heaven. Then we have Peter. He, he goes on to the next thing. Well, what happened then? Well, as this right after this, this sheet comes down in this vision, it, it goes back up into heaven and 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 not seconds later, all of a sudden, uh, there's this knock on the door or, or this shouting from the gate that that people are looking for this guy called Peter. And it says in verse 12, the spirit told me to go to them, making no distinction. In other words, don't make a distinction between Jew and Gentile. Don't worry about this ceremonial law and some of the the extra burdens that the Pharisees have put on top of that. Don't make a distinction between Jew and Gentile. These six brothers, the six that were with him in the house, he says, also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. That would be Cornelius's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel uh, stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. It's interesting that Peter draws attention here in verse 14 to this the, the specifics that he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You see, in Acts chapter 10, verse 22, the emphasis, they, they tell him that Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, is well spoken of by the Jewish nations, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house to hear what you have to say. So in Peter's recounting, they, they had first told Peter, well, you're supposed to come to, and, and Cornelius needs to hear 
what you have to say. But the angel had been even more specific in what he told Cornelius. He said, Cornelius, Peter has a message by which you will be saved. That if you believe this message, this is salvation. This is what you have been looking for. You have been a a sort of on the outskirts of the synagogue, listening to the Word of God, listening to the Old Testament, contributing as well, looking and searching for God, and I'm going to bring it now so you can hear my Word and be saved. Peter is, is making it extra clear to these, uh, this uh, circumcision party, God is the one who set this up. God gave me the vision... God told me, go and don't make a, a, a distinction. And God told Cornelius, you can be saved. There, there is an effect here that Peter is almost saying, this isn't my idea, guys. This isn't my church growth plan. Hey, let's go witness to some Gentiles because we're running out of Jewish people. This is God's plan. And, and if you go back through the Old Testament, this has always been God's plan. That through the people of God, through the the nation of Israel, God would bless the nations. And nations would come before God and worship Him and be saved. It was always God's plan. And now in Acts, God is bringing it to fruition. And that is so crucial that we understand the plan and purpose of God. The Gospel is going to the nations. And the gospel is a message by which all people can be saved. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. Or Paul will even say, it doesn't matter if you're man or woman. It doesn't matter if you're an old person or a child. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a good home and attended church regularly or if you grew up in a terrible environment and are the worst of sinners. The gospel saves everyone who puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. So, Peter draws this out and then he describes how the Spirit fell on the Gentiles. You see, the circumcision party would have had trouble getting this around their heads. The, the Jesus, the, the Christ, the Messiah, He was promised in the Old Testament. And He was promised to come to the Jewish people. Why would Gentiles, people that don't know God, want Jesus? Peter says how the Spirit fell. Look at verses 15, 16, and 17. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us, at the, the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Notice here what Peter does. First, he identifies the common experience between the Jews and the Gentiles as they're getting saved. Look at verse 15. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us in the beginning. 
You remember in Acts 2 how the Spirit came and Peter is preaching the gospel and, and then other, other people are preaching in tongues and then Peter starts preaching the gospel and this is the moment and he quotes Joel chapter 2 that these are the, the days that we look forward to and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved in Joel 2.32. And Peter says, hey guys, you circumcision party, um, that thing that happened to us in Acts 2, I was talking to these Gentiles and it just started happening to these Gentiles. It's the same experience of the transforming grace of God. It's that same transition of they needed to know the new covenant had come. And now Gentiles are getting it. Galatians talks about this as being the blessing of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel before to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. In Galatians 3.14, how's that blessing? So that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. 1 Corinthians 12.13 So when... So in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon the believer the moment they receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We are baptized into the spirit. We get all of the benefits of Jesus Christ. You are no less saved in that moment than you will be a hundred years uh, from now. Well, I guess, you know, a hundred years will probably be dead, so we'll be in the presence of the Lord. But, but, but it's still the same salvation. It's still the same gift of righteousness that you get in that moment. And, and it's the same gift of righteousness that, that God placed upon the, gen, the, the Jewish people. The verdict, He said, you're forgiven, you're justified, I count you as righteous, even though you're sinners, I forgive your sins. He does the same thing to the Gentiles, and they get the same Spirit, and they are part of the same body. Whereas in the Old Testament, Gentiles were not part of the the community of God's people. Now in the New Testament, they are because they believe in Jesus and they don't have to go through circumcision as we talked about uh, several weeks back. But notice the second part of the argument. Jesus said, you want to argue with Jesus? You want to argue with God? That's fine with me. Go ahead, circumcision party. But look at what he says. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus says this in Acts chapter two, uh, chapter one, verse five. Now, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus is there speaking to the disciples. He's speaking uh, to the believers. And, he, and he, Jesus is saying, You guys, you who are right here with me, you will be baptized in the Spirit not many days from now. That happened in Acts chapter 2. Peter says, as he's he's seeing this, he remembers, Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he was speaking to disciples of Christ. He was speaking to believers. And then he's saying, and I'm seeing these guys get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus must have had in mind more than just us as apostles. 
In other words, if the Spirit is coming upon these Gentiles, it must be Jesus who is baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is something that it happens to every believer. We get the full presence of the Spirit changing our hearts and making us alive. And Ephesians chapter 1.13, sealing us for the day of redemption when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We get baptized in the Holy Spirit and become part of the family of God. And Peter is saying, if Jesus could say that, and I can see this now on Gentiles, Jesus has made these Gentiles just as much a part of His body, a part of His church, a part of His family, as He had made us a part of the family when we got the baptism. You see, inside the church, each one of us is equal. We might have different gifts. We might have different talents. Some of us might have more money than others. Some of us might have better jobs than others. Some of us might be adults. Some of us might be children. But at the end of the day, before the throne of God, we are part of one big family and we are equal in the eyes of God. There was in the ancient world here this uh, a racial tension between Jew and Gentile. There is in our day, in our world still, racial tensions between African Americans and whites and Asians and Hispanics and other nations that don't like this or that culture or this or that nation. You know what I'm talking about. It's all around us. But inside the church, and and not just those of us that are here today, but inside the one big body of Jesus, the church, everybody is exactly equal. We are all the same sinners before the cross, given the same mercy and the same grace. It keeps us from being Pharisees. It keeps us from saying, well, thank God I'm not like that person over there. Thank God I'm not like that sinner. Oh, how horrible are they? Because the same grace of God that saved them and may still be working in their lives to root out some sins is the same grace of God that saved you. We are all equal before the foot of the cross. Joel 2.32 And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter draws this conclusion in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift uh, to them as he gave to us when we believed. And and he's, he's arguing here from a conclusion. He saw the event and he remembered what Jesus said. And he goes, if God, and God did, give them the same gift that he gave us, When we believed, then he says this, Who was I that I could stand in the God's way? As I was thinking about it, this is, uh, for for those of you that are maybe younger than I and know this uh, analogy, this is is Peter dropping the mic. This is, you want to take it up with God? Be my guest. But God did this. God saved sinners. And God was saving those Gentiles. And I wasn't going to tell God, no, God, that really isn't part of your plan. 
Because it was. The people then are silenced. This is why I say Peter drops the mic. It says, when I heard these things, they fell silent. He, they, they had no argument anymore. And they glorified God, saying, then the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance unto, uh, that leads to life. Then as one, notice they glorify God. When, when you glorify God about salvation, God gets all the credit. That is so true about salvation. God gets all the credit, all the praise, all the honor. Let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. What did you contribute to your salvation? Nothing. Zip. Zero. You, you received the gift through faith. But you didn't offer anything up to God. You didn't say, God, here, this is what I have for you. Take this. God gets all the glory because God is the one who saved you. You were a sinner. I was a sinner dead in sin. And God opened our eyes, granting us repentance. Somebody shared the gospel, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor, maybe you read a track, you read the Bible, but somehow you heard the word of God and, and the spirit took the word and, and was working in your heart. And God said, as he tells us in Second Corinthians four, God, who, who lets light shine in the darkness, said, let there be light in your heart. And, and suddenly you understood these things. You said, wow, Jesus is amazing. And, and I want to believe in Jesus and receive Him. And, and this is wonderful. I need this salvation. But that is all the working of God upon you. And so God gets glory in all of that. You don't get this, this tiny sliver where you say, that's where I get some credit for what happened. Or, or if, you, if you shared the Gospel with someone, uh, you don't get to say... See that, see that person that came to church that, that saved? That was me. I did that. I, I, I got in the gospel. It was, it was all on me. God did it. God gets glorified in the working of redemption. And I want you to notice how it is the three persons of God here in this working. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. God, the Father, gives the Holy Spirit as they believe in Jesus, the Lord. All three of the persons work to carry out your salvation. Do you want to know why we believe in the Trinity? Trinity, in some of the language, can get very complicated. There is one God. He has one essence, one nature, if you will. There are three distinct persons, and yet they're one in ways that we don't understand. But you know what it really comes down to? Who saves you? God. How does God work salvation? Well, the Father sends the Son Son dies on the cross, goes up into heaven. The Father raises him from the dead. Uh, Jesus promises not to leave us alone, but he will send another, a comforter, who, will, who is better, in a sense, somehow, than the presence of Jesus. So God, the Son, they send the Spirit. The Spirit applies the gospel, opens my heart. Do, do you see how that works? Three persons doing actions, working out things. But how many gods save you? God. 
The Trinity is at the core of the working of God. Or because God is a Trinity, this is how God works. When we glorify God, there was a big dust-up not too long ago, college professor out at Wheaton saying, you know, that... that um, Christians and and Muslims, at the end of the day, basically worship the same God. When we glorify God, when we worship God, when we praise God for our salvation, we are worshiping one God, praising one God, thanking one God, who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who accomplish one salvation, who make us one people of God. We get baptized, both spiritually and and when we physically get baptized. We get baptized with one baptism into one faith, into one family. Because the three persons are one God. Second, this morning, that's the rejoicing, that's the glorifying God. Second, this morning, since God's grace can save any person, be willing to share the gospel with all people. This is the implication. And this is, this is the thing that, that the Jewish people had to learn. Because you notice in verse 1, it says that they were scattered from this persecution. Not verse 1, verse 19. They were scattered from this persecution. But it says, as they were going out, they were, quote, speaking the word to no one except Jews. You see, they, they had to learn what God's plan was. They had to recognize the fulfillment of it. It, 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 was, a, it was a learning curve. Uh, but let's let's not be too harsh on them. Uh, we have a learning curve when we get saved. Uh, we have things that we need to get our minds around. Maybe even old biases and hatreds that God needs to teach us are, are wrong, just like they experienced. But then look at verse 20. We have some men from Cyprus and Cyrene. It says, but when they were, but there were some men, uh, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. So, they didn't limit who they talked to. They, they are going here and they are preaching the gospel uh, to the Greeks. Uh, this must have been a little bit of a challenge because most of the Greeks would not have known the stories of the Old Testament, would not have known about the Exodus, probably didn't know about Abraham, would not have known about all the, the great promises of God and the, the acts of redemption. And I'll tell you what, we live in a world that is very much like this. 30 years ago, you could walk up to just about anybody on the street and they had some kind of nominal church background. At least were maybe vaguely familiar. They knew some of these Sunday school stories. Now you walk up to somebody on the street and you say, you ever hear that guy named Noah? To who now? Well, you know, Noah. How about Abraham? Abraham. Maybe they know Moses if they've seen the Prince of Egypt or they watch the the Ten Commandments every year. But most people today do not have that Bible background that used to kind of just be in our culture. So when we evangelize, we have a lot more groundwork that we have to lay. Who is God? What is he like? What has he done? But notice here, they go to these Greeks, they go to these foreigners, and they start preaching the Lord Jesus. So the word for preaching here is is to evangelize. It's the word we get the word gospel or good news from. They were they were announcing and telling the good news. And and this word is often used to describe the the heralding of the birth of kings or the heralding of the reign of kings. And it says 
basically, they heralded the good news of the Lord Jesus. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. And this verse, these words get used in the, the Old Testament that, that go up on Mount Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold, your God reigns. Isaiah 40 verse 9 or 52 verse 7 of Isaiah. How beautiful are the mountains of the feet of those who bring good news, who publish peace, who bring good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, saying, your God reigns. And what are they heralding here? Jesus Christ reigns. He is Lord. What is really fascinating to me, notice it says uh, over in in verse uh, 17, it says... um, I lost it now. In in verse 17, it says, If then God gave the same gift to those of us he gave to us when they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have Jesus mentioned, but his title is Lord, and it has the reference to him being Christ or Messiah. Here it says, and, and, and it just says, they preached the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm sure they told them he was the Christ at some point. But... You could go up to a Jewish person and say, oh, by the way, our Messiah has come. His name was Jesus. The Christ has come. You couldn't go up to a Gentile and say, the Christ has come. The who? But you could say to them, there is this guy, Jesus, and he is the Lord of all things. And let me tell you who he is and how he died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and how his lordship was shown in that resurrection of the dead, and what he can do if you put your faith and trust in him. They announced and preached the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Scriptures tell us that Jesus is Lord. That that when Paul goes into Acts, when he goes into into, um, Athens in the book of Acts, he, he goes before these Gentiles and he says, God has made a man who will judge the earth and he has proved it to us by raising him from the dead. Meaning Paul is saying, Jesus is the Lord. All things, as we talked about last week, all things have been put under his feet and he will judge all of creation, not only as the eternal son of God, but also as an incarnate human being who reigns as king. Jesus Christ reigns. And then notice it says uh, in verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was this with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. They did not just believe that Jesus is their Savior. They were told that Jesus is their Lord. And they believed and, and they repented. They Turn to God. It's described in, in 1 Thessalonians that, that the, the Thessalonians, they were following idols and they turned from idols to turn and worship the living God. There was a repentance, a turning, and it manifested itself in a forsaking of their old life, a recognizing of their sins and saying, these were idols that we worshiped. And now we want to come to Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord and we want to worship the living and true God because in Him is salvation. When you share the Gospel, you need to tell people that Jesus is Lord. 
The Bible says that God commands that all people should repent. Why is that? The offer is given to all people that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Joel 2.32, will be saved. Why is that? Because God in the Lord Jesus Christ has established His Lordship over every square inch of this earth. Even if you don't acknowledge it right now, Jesus still reigns over everything. Jesus is like that king who has set up his kingdom over a land. And now he has given the, time, the people who are in that land under his dominion, he is giving them the opportunity to come and submit, to change their hearts or have their hearts changed by the gospel. God is like a king. And you, when you share the gospel, he is like sending you as an ambassador. And when you are an ambassador, you represent the country that sends you. And when you share the gospel, you can't water it down. You can't minimize that Jesus is Lord. You can't minimize that people need to repent, that people need to trust in Him, that if they do not trust in Him, there is condemnation. And yes, that condemnation is a place called hell. Because that is what God saves us from if we believe in Him. And the messenger, the ambassador, has to be faithful to the message. But you know what? When we're faithful to the message, God's hand works. This is what we see happening in the passage, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. God's hand works. We need to be a church that is faithful to the message. We live in a day and age where the church decides that there are a whole lot of better other things we should do to try to reach people. And maybe if we're lucky, we'll slide the gospel in on the side. Let's not talk to them about repenting until we're farther down the road. Let's not warn them of the dangers. Let's not tell them that Jesus commands us all to do this. Or tell someone, heaven forbid, that without Christ we're all sinners. Say it in such a way that we're not wagging the finger, right? You and I are a sinner without Christ. We have to tell them, I was in the same boat and I didn't deserve to get out. And this message I'm, I'm bringing to you, I've, I've taken the medicine and that's why I'm bringing it to you. But you have to tell them. I want you to notice then just quickly how they respond. They send, the church from Jerusalem sends Barnabas. And when the report came to the, the church in, in Jerusalem and they sent uh, Barnabas to Antioch, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a man, uh, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, a man of faith. A great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas, is, his name means son of encouragement. And so Barnabas goes and he encourages them. And, and he sees the grace of God and he's glad for it. He wasn't 
suspicious. Well, you know, I'm not sure if you guys are really saved yet. Let's let's wait and see. Isn't that how we are sometimes? A young person becomes a Christian. A young believer comes into church and they dress funny. They look funny maybe. They don't know all the Christian lingo that we sometimes talk to ourselves in. And we say, well, let's just wait and see. No, we're supposed to be glad. This is a sinner who's repented. This is somebody God has saved. And, and Barnabas isn't suspicious. He's glad. And then he, he encourages these people. He exhorts them, stand fast. You could think of Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will, will be faithful to carry it through and complete it in the end. You can think of Colossians 1, 22 and 23, that, that God's purpose is to present us holy and blameless above reproach before Him. If indeed we continue in the faith, stay hanging on to Christ. He has saved you and continues to save you. Don't walk away. Have you ever... I like to watch these survival shows, not Survivor, but the other ones, the, the ones where they get professionals and they send them, they drop them in the middle of nowhere and they give them like one knife and, and they say, okay, you've got to walk back out. Have you ever watched those guys start fire by hand? That's amazing. I, I wish I could do that. It, they, you know, they get the bowstring and they... And of course, they do it in two minutes because they cut out the hour that it took them to build the friction. But, but they, get, they get this little spark... And when they get that spark, man, they are excited. They're like, yes, all right, we got it. And, and they take this little piece of, of tinder. They call it a, a, a nest because it looks oftentimes like a bird's They call it a bird's nest because you've got to get the, the driest and the lightest stuff. And you take this little, this little tinder and you, you put it in there and, and you just very, very, very gently, you just blow on it and just just the lightest of touches and then then this smoke starts to starts to billow out and you can blow a little more this this is what it's like caring for a new believer they are that that little spark god has begun this awesomely great good work in them and the last thing they need is, is for a uh, big brother christian to come along and say well, I hope you know what you're getting yourself into because being a Christian can be really hard. They need that encouragement, that tenderness, that, that fanning into flame what God has given them. That stand firm in Jesus. Look at how big He is. Look at how mighty He is. We, we call that process discipleship. That we fan into flames the little spark that God has begun. And we give fuel to the fire for the Holy Spirit to continue a mighty work. But I have seen, and maybe you have seen, Christians, baby Christians, that make professions of faith. And some other Christian comes along, says something, does something, is rude in some way, could care less about them, whatever it is. And that Christian says, that new Christian, that baby says, I don't want to be a part of this. Christians are grumpy. These Christians are mean. These Christians, they kill their own. And 
they walk away from the faith. We need to rejoice. We need to encourage. Because that is how God draws the body together. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would uh, be with us today, that you would watch over us, that you would uh, bless our time as we uh, partake of, of communion. And uh, we just pray that you would feed and nourish us from these scriptures this morning. Uh, in your precious name we pray. Uh, amen.